The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. We've been going through Luke, right? We're in chapter 8. We're going to close the door on chapter 8 today. And then guess where we're going? Chapter 9. She's good at math, right? She's paying attention. Uh, and, and this is just how it's going to go. But then we are going to take a break on Easter, right? Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about how Jesus resurrected from the grave. And if that surprised you, that's strange, uh, right? All churches should talk about the resurrection on that day, but then we'll pick it right back up in Luke 9 the following week. But listen, if, you, if you've been gone with us last week, then you realized Jesus cast out a legion of demons, right? In the demoniac, the garrisons, right? In this, this wild scene that we got to see. And then we got to see the, you know, or hear about this swine suicide, right? Jesus said, yep, I give you permission. Demons, you can go into the pigs, down off the cliff, into the water, and they drown. Well, where we pick it up is actually Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee once again, and, and he's heading back into town. Uh, what you're going to see in this, this story or this account, this biblical account that Levi just read, is there's two very different individuals we're going to meet. Right? One is Jairus. He's a synagogue leader, okay? This man would have had been a very important, respected member of society, right? Um, he, and then we, we, we meet someone, though, who's an unnamed woman. And she's, she's been suffering for 12 years, right? And we'll see that in just a moment. What I want you to see, and I think what Luke wants us to see, is these two couldn't be more different in so many ways, right? Uh, think about it. One's very well off, but his, his daughter's dying, and she dies, right? One is, is, on the other hand, very poor, and she's not well off, right? One's accepted, one's excluded, right? Um, one's in community and one's very isolated. And yet, Jesus meets both of them right where they're at. Right? Really, the only thing they have in common is that they're both suffering terribly. And so it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. Suffering has a way of bringing everybody to ground level. Everybody comes to ground level. It doesn't matter how much money you have. There's certain things money cannot fix, like a 12-year-old girl dying. Right? No matter how many people you have in your community, nobody could fix this. But then you have this woman who's, who's poor and she's needing healing and she's spent all her money to try to be healed and she is broke and she's destitute. But both of them are desperate and look where they both go. They go to Christ for help. So let's look. Luke 8, 40. We're going to look at 40 through 42, the first half of 42. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For there were all, they, they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, right? He had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. <laughs> picture, this is a picture of desperation. I, I, really, like I, I always tell you guys, but I'm, I'm telling you, put your sandals on, go back some 2,000 years, get into the text, get in, feel the emotion that's happening. This man's of high standing, and yet he's falling at the feet of Jesus Christ because he is desperate. He's needy, right? Rem remember, though, the religious leaders of that time, for the most part, for the most part, were not fans of Jesus. 
right? If you remember, as we've been going throughout Luke, uh, they've not really welcomed him. They've treated him as an outsider. Uh, some have accused him of heresy. They even attempted to throw him off a cliff, right? And now, here, here you have it, this man, and he's coming to Jesus because he knows, I've heard of you. I mean, that... The, sea, the people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee couldn't wait for Jesus to go. They're like, get out of our town, right? And we could speculate as to why. We don't know. But here, these folks, they can't wait for Jesus to come back. They can't wait. They're waiting on the shore. Here comes the boat. There's Jesus. Why? Well, because we have a great need. Why do you think he did this? Why did he go to Jesus? Was it because he loved Jesus? Maybe. However, I think that's a pretty big leap to assume. My guess is probably not, right? But we don't know. But, but here's what we can know. We can know this for sure. His little girl is as good as dead. And he knows this man, wherever he goes, people are being healed, right? He's even probably heard the rumor that's true, by the way, that he has resurrected or raised someone from the dead, right? And so he's going to help me. Right? But he doesn't have faith like the centurion. Do you remember the centurion? The centurion goes to Jesus and he says, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. I know it'll happen. This man's like, come with me. You got you to come help my daughter. Come with me. Go. Right? And so that's what we see. By the way, if you've ever been desperate and in a time of need, then you can probably relate. I remember one time getting a phone call at Radio Shack when I used to work there many years ago, and it was from someone in our church, and he said, hey, Pastor Scott, would you ride down with me to Pittsburgh? Uh, there's a, a little girl who uh, her mom was driving, and they wrecked, and the car went into icy waters, and they were in icy waters for quite some time. The mom was able to get out very easily. The daughter, who was like, I think, one at the time, could not. She was in her car seat, and they couldn't get her out, and, uh, but she's in a coma, uh, and, and her body temperature, her core temperature is horrible. Would you come with me? I said, sure. So I, I go home, and, and, and Jesse, my wife, and my little girl at the time, Sarah, you know, she's still my little girl, but at that time she was like, gosh, three, maybe four. We go to Pittsburgh, and um, here's this family, and they're in turmoil because the, the, the families are divided because they're blaming mom, right? And this, this, this couple's not married right? But they have a kid together, and they're fighting, and it's tense. And none of them really believe in Jesus. But, but they know, I have a friend who believes in Jesus. I want to call him, and that's who called me, and so we went. And uh, I, I got to tell you, in that moment, everybody was praying. In that moment, everybody was praying. They may not have known who they were praying to, but we did. Uh, it's not about that little girl, but you're all like, well, what happened? I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. That would be terribly rude. Um, I, I will tell you this. She, she was in a coma, and that night uh, the Lord just brought healing to her, and the next morning she, she was off of life support. And she's still alive, doing very well today. And uh, that doesn't happen all the time. As a matter of fact, most times that's not what happens. I've been to more hospitals where that's not the case. So I don't want you to think, man, I'm going to call Pastor Scott the next time we're sick. The Lord just decided in that moment, I'm going to spare this young girl's life. Why I tell you that, though, is because you'd think that would result in a bunch of people trusting and loving Jesus. It didn't. It didn't. The next day, Channel 4, Channel 2 interviewed this, this couple. And you would think, 
man, God saved my daughter. But that's not what they said. But God is still magnified and glorified in all these things. And he's very involved in all of humanity's life. Just like this guy and this little girl and this woman that we're about to meet. Right? Um, it's not... It wasn't, by the way, it wasn't these folks' love of Jesus that caused them to call some Jesus folks. We just need help. We just need help, and so they call. It's not devotion that brought them in. It's, it's, it's just, man, maybe, maybe this would work. And, and the Lord will work with that. It was their desperation, of a faint glimmer of hope that caused them to reach out. If you've ever had someone that you really love, then surely you get this. I remember August... 5th, 2005, Sarah Louise Rising arrived to planet Earth, right? I guess she was already in planet Earth, but just in my wife's womb, right? You know, for nine months. But here she is after 30 hours of grueling labor, emergency C-section, and here she is. And she's in my hands. And I knew in that moment, I'll tell you right now, I always say this, and it does sound strange, but it's honest. It's the thought that came into my mind. I, I knew in that moment I'd do anything to protect this little girl. I never, I was like, I wonder if I, if I had to, if I could kill someone. I knew that day I could. That's strange to say, I know. Um, but that's the, the thought I had. I'd do anything for this girl. Now imagine this, this, this man and his daughter's dying. His daughter's dying and he goes to Jesus he goes to Jesus. I want you to know it's all too often, it's in the darkest moments of life and despair that, that it starts to give way to divine grace coming into your life. It's in those moments often that you can see very clearly. You know what's important in those moments. And I think that's what's happening with this man. Continuing in, in Luke 8, 42 through 43, and it says, As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Right? You can't blame them. They want to know what's going to happen. right? And so they're pressing in. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anybody. Right now, we're introduced to another character in this story. Right, there's a woman who's been suffering horrifically from a hemorrhage and from bleeding, and and for 12 years. Now, that may not you probably get that from a physical aspect, but there's more going on for this woman because she would have been ceremonially unclean, unclean in the Jewish culture. Right, so therefore she would have been forbidden to have sexual relations. Now, that might sound strange. Why do you say that? Because that means she probably wasn't married. If she was married, she was probably divorced, okay? Uh, and, and so here's the deal. This bleeding had left her broken, broken, relationally, right, S from society and from the worship community because she had to isolate herself, right? Um, but then more than that, not less than that, but more than that, emotionally, could you imagine, spiritually, and, and now financially, the Gospel of Mark tells us that she went and she suffered greatly at the hands of people trying to heal her. All right? Because, you know, listen, medicine certainly wasn't advanced then. So now they're trying all these crazy different things to get this thing to stop. So now she's spent all her money, but she's actually suffering even more. And, and her condition is no better. Well, it continues. She came up behind him. Now, don't forget, Jesus is going to help Jairus' daughter. On her deathbed, right? 
And he's going, and the crowd's pressing in. And she comes up behind him, and she touches the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing, right? Seriously, like, in that moment, 12 years of frustration is gone. In an instant, in a moment, right? And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Right? You, you ever been in a mob of people? I, I love concerts, and when I was younger, I used to go to them a lot, and there's this thing called a mosh pit. It's kind of insane, but it'd be like being in a mosh pit and saying, who touched me? Bro, look around. And so Peter, he, he's really helpful here, by the way. When all denied it, they're like, not me, not me. Peter goes, Master, the, the crowds surrounding you are, are pressing in on you. Well, thank you, Peter. Right? Like, I think Jesus gets that. I think he knows that, right? That's not what he's asking. By the way, Peter's so helpful. That's, that's not a helpful observation, Peter, right? The crowds are pressing, pressing in on you. I mean, probably a lot of people have touched you. That's not what he's asking. But Jesus said, someone touched me. He said, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. This is a crazy scene, by the way. It's not clear uh, why she thought, this woman, why she thought that touching Jesus would bring about healing. It's not clear. We don't know. But she really did think Jesus would heal her, right? Think about it. This, I've been thinking about this all week. She's disobeying the law, and she receives healing. <laughs> hmm. I don't know what to do with that. I just, I just want you to be frustrated with it as I am, <laughs> right? But here's one thing that is clear. Here's one thing that is clear. This woman's faith at its core is, is an ignorant faith. We, we don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely an ignorant faith. She's treating Jesus like some magical, like divine being that if she just touches him, she'll be zapped with healing, which is strange, right? It's almost like how our very spiritual culture trusts crystals and different things like that. And, and they're desperate, though. They're hoping. They're trying different things. Her faith was uninformed, right? It, it was superstitious. It was presumptuous. But know this. It was imperfect, but it, but it was real. It was real. How do you know? Because there's action involved. It was real. And Jesus blessed it because he sees the heart. He sees the heart. She, she may not understand all things, but he knows all things. And he sees her. He knows her. He's not asking who touched me. He knows who touched him. It's just like, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And God says, where are you? He's not asking for a GPS location coordinates, right? He's like, what are you doing, right? He knows what's going on with this woman. And he says, who touched me? Why? Well, let's, let's keep reading. And, and, and verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, meaning everybody knows, Jesus knows she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed, right? And, and he said to her, listen to these words, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Whew, that's beautiful. Now, don't forget, imagine Jairus. Just imagine, right? Hey, who touched me? Uh, Jesus, could we uh, keep going? Right? Uh, do you remember? Got this thing going on? My 12-year-old daughter? She's dying, right? Uh, we're wasting some time. Do, do we really have to talk about who touched you right now? I mean, just imagine what he's feeling in that moment, 
tail of two tails right here. You're like, let's go, Jesus. Come on. I mean, I, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I'm kind of telling you what to do because my daughter is dying. You're worried about who touched you. The crowd is bumping off you left and right. This woman, oh, her, she's been bleeding for 12 years. My daughter's only been living for 12 years. Could we go? I mean, you can feel the tension in this moment. Something like that. That's my guess. I could be wrong. However, when, when the woman comes, her heart pounding out of her chest, she confesses what has happened and she proclaims the goodness of God in that moment. Jesus stops, by the way, to tell the whole truth of what just take, had taken place in this woman's life. Why? Well, it seems like the woman maybe wasn't so worried about an encounter with Jesus. She just wanted some healing, right? I mean, she sneaks up behind him, right? Just to touch the fringe and then kind of dart out. I'm just looking to get some healing here, Jesus. Are you cool with that? He's not cool with that. He's not cool with that at all. As a matter of fact, he desires relationship with this woman. Because what she needs, what you and I need, we need real healing. Because I can tell you right now, her blood could stop right now, and she still has not received the healing she so desperately needs. Just like the little girl in Pittsburgh who was dying. The healing she needs is healing of the soul. The healing you and I need is healing of the soul. Yeah, it's great that she could live. Why? So that she could hear about what God has done for her in her life. So that she may be a worshiper of Christ in spirit and truth. Jesus is not okay just dispensing out some healing without you knowing there's a God who has created you. There's a God who knows you. There's a God who loves you. And he's giving mercy and grace to this woman. He loves her. He says, daughter. Daughter. Do you know how many times that word comes up in all four Gospels? One time, this woman. And that's it. Oh, he's so kind. <laughs> he's so kind. You know, the same is true for you and I when it comes to many times of the reasons why we might come to Jesus. Right? Um, for some, it's just, I just need some healing. Some, I just need some help. My, my marriage is, is just wrecked. My life's a wreck. I'm a wreck. So you come to Jesus, not to get necessarily Jesus, but to get something from him, right? And he's so kind that he'll just work with that. He'll just work with that, right? Like, I think so many times we think like, well, we've got to have it all figured out before we come to him. You'll never come to him if you think that. you never come to Jesus if you think that. You don't have them all figured out right now. Think back to last week. The only people, and I wouldn't even call them people because they're not people, they're demons. The only characters in that story who got Jesus right were the demons. Right? The demoniac, he's like, he doesn't understand all the things. The townspeople, they definitely don't. But they're like, you are the son of the most high. I beg you, do not torment us. They get it. You think you get it perfectly. Oh, how many times we boast about our amazing theology. You don't have amazing theology when you come to Christ. You just know there is a God in the heavens and I am not right and I need help. That's how we all come. That's how we all come, right? 
Many times people come to Jesus and they've got tons of mixed understandings about who he is, the person of Christ, the triune God, one God, three distinct persons, that Jesus is one person of the Trinity and that there's this thing called the hypostatic union. He's fully God, he's fully man, he's one being of the Trinity. What? We don't have that figured out. We don't understand how atonement works. We don't even know what atonement means. Grace, mercy, on and on. However, I want you to know unclear understandings of Jesus are often just the beginning of authentic and very informed trust in God and who he truly is. That's where we start, though. You don't have to have everything figured out to come to Christ. Just come. Come as you are, and guess what? He'll help you. It's what we see with this woman, and it's what we've experienced in our own lives. Don't miss the beauty and the picture of the gospel here. This woman who is unclean because of this flow of blood, right, will ultimately be healed because of the blood that flows from Jesus' vein upon the cross. She don't understand that. But we can look back and we can see that. Her uncleanliness should have been transferred to Jesus, and instead his cleanliness was transferred to her. Boy, does that sound familiar. Boy, does that sound like the cross. Boy, does that sound like substitutionary atonement. Look at 1 Peter 3.18 with me. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, that he might, listen, why? Why did he do this? Why does the cross exist? That he might bring us to God. This is why. Jesus, our Savior, right? Because of his death, right? Once for all, sin offering. Jesus lays down his life. For, he never sinned. That's what the text says when it says the righteous. But in doing that, he satisfies the wrath of God by standing in the place of sinners where it, where it says the unrighteous. And he received the punishment that you and I deserve to receive. So all the wrath of God was placed on Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. Why? It says to, in order to bring hell-bound sinners into a right relationship with God as Father. That's what it says. That he might bring us to God. I want you to know this relationship of God adopting sinners into the family is the pinnacle of the good news is the apex of the good news, right? It, the pure enjoyment of being in right relationship with God as Father, that's it. That's the mountaintop. That's the peak. It's as good as it gets. Adoption, okay? Everything else, and I truly do mean everything else that God has done in the life and the death and in the resurrection of Christ is a means to that end. And you might be like, is that true? Yes. Listen, we're forgiven so that our guilt does not keep us from God the Father. That's why forgiveness of sins is important. It's not just for forgiveness sake. It's for right relationship, right? We are justified, right? We are declared righteous. We have received a perfect righteousness from Jesus by faith. Why? So that condemnation doesn't keep us away from enjoying life with God. Right? God's wrath is, is diverted or propitiated away from us so that his hot anger against sinners like you and I does not stand between us enjoying life with him. But it's all about relationship. We're given eternal life now. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have eternal life now. You don't wait for heaven to have that life. You have it now. 
He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given you himself. God dwells in you. You live in him. You're abiding. You're trusting in this good God. And at the resurrection, when Jesus returns and resurrects our dead bodies, we're going to receive a glorified body. Why? So that we can enjoy more fully, more deeply, without the effects of this decaying body, this sin that separates, even though it doesn't separate us from relationship, but from fully understanding, fully enjoying, that will be eradicated. And you will have no more sin. Why? So that you can enjoy more relationship with God forever. This is what God has done. This is what we are made for. This is what we lost because of sin. This is what we lost because of sin. Christ has come to save sinners. Ask yourself, do I really believe that relationship with God is the greatest good of the gospel? Just take a minute. Think about it. Why do you want forgiveness? Some people, it's not because you want God. It's because you just feel guilty. You are guilty. But you don't actually want God. You just want to get rid of the guilt. Right? Why do you want to be declared righteous? Is it so that you can, can have God? Or is it so I can just not have condemnation and not have these bad feelings? Right? Why do you want the wrath of God to be diverted? It's because well, I want to escape hell, but maybe you don't want God. But, but listen, why do you want eternal life? So I can see my grandma. Well, okay, if grandma's there, that's great. But that's not the aim of heaven. Right? Like, you, I want streets of gold. I want a glorified body. I want a body that doesn't hurt anymore. You can want all sorts of things, but here's the mistake you can make. You cannot want God ultimately. And i got to tell you, if that's where you're at, you need to have your thinking fixed because that's idolatry. That's wanting, that's wanting creation over creator. I know how many times this can happen. If that's you, you're in serious danger of worshiping gifts of God, but not God. The greatest joy is right now, no matter how hard your life is, if you're in Christ and He's in you, you have life with God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, what if I don't get the promotion? You have right relationship with God. What if I don't get a wife or a husband? You have right relationship with with God. What if, what if my kids don't like me when they grow up? For a season they might not. You have right relationship with God. What if, what if everyone turns their back on... Right? Oh, how we need to see this. How we need to understand life with God, no matter how hard life is here on planet Earth. Your greatest problems are resolved. They're just resolved. No matter what happens for you, you can trust him. Okay? So this woman comes to, to Jesus for healing from a constant 12 year of flowing blood, and she, she just wants healed. Oh, but she gets so much more. What does she get? She gets these words Daughter. <laughs> Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Peace, 
peace between God and man. Oh, she got so much more than she ever bargained for. Why? Because Jesus slowed down, said, who touched me? This is the kind of love your God has for you. He's not content with just giving you the things you think you need. He gives you so much more. He gives you himself. He gives you himself. It's just crazy to think about how it's just not a perfect faith that saves us, right? It's an imperfect faith in a perfect Christ. Oh, and that's so good to know, right? Um, we, we ought to be grateful that it's not our perfect knowledge of who Jesus is that saves us, but that Jesus himself saves us. Now, don't hear me wrong. He wants you to see him more rightly, more clearly. And so he, can, he gives you himself in the, in the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives you his word to show you who he is. But we ought to want to have a right understanding of God. But know this, you don't have to wait till you have a perfect understanding of God to enjoy life with God. Why? Because he's kind. Faith in Jesus Christ brings healing. Healing of a broken relationship between God and man. That's what we see with this woman. Now back to the story. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter, boy, look at the, the mix on, on, on play on words. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your daughter, Jairus, is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I mean, this joyous scene is brought to a screeching halt with that devastating news. Imagine what this daddy's feeling right now. Don't imagine too long. You'll be sad, right? Keep going. But Jesus, on hearing this answer, listen to what he says to him. He says, do not fear. Only believe, and she'll be well. <laughs> By the way, I think sometimes we hear that. It's like, yeah, he knows that. He doesn't know that. Your daughter's dead. Don't stress, bro. Right, that's how I, that's how I hear it. Right, don't stress, bro. That Jesus doesn't talk like that. He says, listen, he says, do not fear. Only believe, she'll be made well. You know, it's in the darkest moments of our lives that Jesus says the same to us. Just keep trusting me. God's never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. He's always on time. Well, it doesn't seem that way to me. I know. Don't fear. Only believe. And you'll be made well. See, God's sense of timing will often surprise us. As a matter of fact, it will confuse us at times, Right? Uh, real, real quick story. There was a, uh, you know, Jesse and I, we wanted to have, I'm talking a little bit about myself this morning, which I always get nervous about in preaching because I want you to leave with a thought that Jesus is amazing and then add a whole bunch of more amazing words, right? I don't want you to be like, oh, I heard a funny story from Pastor Scott. I don't really care unless it helps magnify Christ, but there's times where I think it's helpful to hear stories. I'll tell you, we wanted a big family. We wanted a whole lot of kids and we got a whole lot of one, Okay. But, but know this, but know this, it wasn't from a lack of trying. So after three years of waiting, God did give us Sarah. 18 months later, Jesse is now pregnant again, and she's not been feeling well, and it's going on for a couple months, and we're not, we're not understanding why that is, and she's getting worse and worse, and she's stubborn. If you get to know my wife, I was like, you need to go to the hospital. She's like, oh, I'm fine. I'll put some Hobbit oil on my neck, and um, she's better now. She don't mind. I already asked. Uh, and so... I said, babe, you need to go. And she's like, well, we got Christmas coming up and we got family coming over and I'm going to be okay. And God in his kindness, 
He just allowed her to have so much grace on Christmas Day. Now, I'm working at Radio Shack. If you know anything about that, the day after Christmas is a nightmare because it's all the returns and all the Christmas joy is gone. It's gone, <laughs> right? And, and so here I am, and I've worked every Christmas, day after Christmas, and it's like the worst day of the year, right? And, and I know my wife's not feeling well, but on Christmas Day, she was feeling great. She had tons of energy and all these different things. I come down. It's like 5 in the morning. There's my wife laying cold on a tile floor in our home, out. And I pick her up, and I take her to the emergency room. And we find out, I didn't even know what this was at the time, that my wife had an, an ectopic pregnancy. And so she lost half of her uh, lady parts. And in that moment, what was amazing is we weren't even thinking that, though. Because I thought, I almost lost my wife. We did lose the baby, but Jesse was spared. Why? I don't know. I don't know, but we went home very thankful that day because she was spared. She was internally bleeding for quite a while, and she could have easily died on that floor. And God, in his kindness, allowed her to collapse there before I went to work. And not a half hour later, so I could take her. Because had she collapsed a half hour later, that had been it. And I would have lost a baby and I would have lost my bride. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to trust God in these moments, but you can trust God and his beautiful, I'm going to use a word, providence. Providence, what is that? Well, the word providence comes from two Latin words, right? You're like, do you speak Latin? I don't, but I know how to look things up. <laughs> Ready? I just I never want you to think like, oh, he's super smart. I'm really, I do my best, right? I study and I work. Providence comes from two Latin words, pro, which just means before, okay? And then video, to see. Think about that, right? Before sight, right? So when we speak of God's providence, what we're really referring to are the things that he sees providing for, sustaining, governing the universe by the power of his word because he sees all things. He knows all things. He's sovereign. You might hear that word. And he provides. This includes suffering, by the way, which means it's not meaningless. I just never want you to think he didn't know. Oh, it'd be easier to preach that because now I know I'm really causing you some struggle if you're thinking. I knew he knew. And he allowed it. And he's good. And there's where I had to wrestle. That's where I had to wrestle. And so listen, we're going to get back into that, but let's hang that on a hook for just a moment. And let's finish out this story. 51, verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him. So Jesus is getting ready to enter the house, except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. Right? So you had some people outside the house. They're all weeping. Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. <laughs> he, this is wild. And, and they laughed at him. Because, these, listen, these folks know what a dead person looks like. You and I, we're not real sure. Like doctors, nurses, yeah, you and I, know. We're just like, we don't even want to get near it. We just run from it. But this culture knew when someone was dead. And, and he says, oh, she's not dead. She's just taking a little nap. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but taking her by the hand and calling her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up 
at once. Oh man, don't ever doubt the power of God. Just as at creation, in that moment, God's word has the power to bring life where there is no life. To impart life into this young girl. And, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. It's an odd little thing that Luke puts in there, by the way. Get her a sandwich, right? And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. That's, that's our account. What's the point? Well, I think there are a handful of points, but here's the point we've got today. This is what I got. Jesus is a Savior. I say a Savior. He's really the only Savior. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But I say a Savior because I want you to see that you can trust him in your darkest and most desperate moments of life or even in your death. If Jesus can handle your eternity, he can handle your momentary suffering. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Listen, this may come as a surprise to you, but, but God not only allows suffering to come into your life, this is going to bother some of you, but there are times where he will lead us into dark valleys. Oh, I know, man, some people don't like this, but you can't get away from it. The Bible over and over talks about this. He not only does that, but he'll determine the distance. He'll determine at the pace you will walk through them. Why? Because he's for you. And you're like, that doesn't make sense to me. I know. I know it doesn't. But, but here's the deal. These two people in this story are in a dark moment, and it brought both of them to, to Christ. Now, if they were to suffer the rest of their life here on planet Earth and receive right relationship with God, do you think that suffering was worth it? To escape eternity of hell. Not a trick question. Yes. It's absolutely worth it. And, and as you're going to see in just a moment, God's doing amazing work in the suffering that's eternal that you might not even understand. But if you'll read the word, you can see it. So here's the deal. How do you make it? Well, God supplies you much grace in the midst of those trials. Listen, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. You may feel very faint, very weak right now. And to him who has, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. God will help you. No matter the outcome, God's with you. Right? This is not an e easy thing to hear, right? I think it's easy to, to read a story like this and say, well, of course it's easy to trust Jesus. This girl's, you know, she was dead, now she's alive. Okay, girl had 12 years worth of bleeding, now she's healed, she came to Jesus. But that's not the reality I've lived in. That's not the story I've experienced. Oftentimes, you keep on bleeding till you die. And that's hard to trust God in that moment. Not all stories end wonderfully here on planet Earth. That's the, that's the reality. There's, there's a knucklehead coming into Murraysville. He's a, he's a faith healer. What a joke. And he's wanting you to pay a bunch of money to come get some healing. And I'm telling you it's a joke so you don't waste your money on clowns like this. 
The reason I tell you it's a clown like that is because I'm going to take him by the hand and walk him through the, 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 the hospital and say, do your thing, magic man. Let's clear him out. It's just not how it works. This is not how it works. Can God heal? Yes. But the healing he's most, most concerned about is your soul so that you might have a relationship with him. And that doesn't mean he's indifferent to your pain when you're in pain. He's actually working in it. Most stories don't end the way we often want them to, but they all will at the end. Why? Because he's perfect. John Owen, you don't need to know who he was. He's just this old guy. He's dead and great guy. You should get to know him. But he had 11 children. And only one of them reached adulthood. Ten children died before adulthood. Charles and Sally Wesley had eight children, but watched five of them die in infancy ever before they reached early childhood. B.M. Palmer lost a small boy and four adult daughters to death. You know another guy that I really like? His name is William Cowper. Who's that? He's a great poet and hymn writer right? Um, he was among the, the best of the English poets, okay? And he wrote a, a, a hymn, and it's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way, uh, which was written in 1774. That's a while ago, right? Um, but listen, I, w- I want you to know he didn't write it in the midst of a trite or superficial understanding, but one where he had suffered a long time. And you know what his suffering was primarily? Of the mind, He battled depression greatly, greatly. Um, And I mean, he was, I can't get into all these things. Time goes quick here. Suicide was just nipping at him, right? All the time. And he wanted to kill himself often. And listen, I want you to listen to the words he wrote, okay? They're not inspired, but I'll tell you, they're pretty profound, right? So listen, I'm going to read the hymn, and you can all thank me later that I'm not singing it. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in an unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye, by the way, pause, uh, ye means you. Uh, it was a word that existed before Ye West, right? Kanye changed his name. You just need to know that. Most of you don't know what Ye means, right? You're all like, Kanye? Nope. Nope, just means you, okay? Ye faithful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so very much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. They bu- the bud may have bitter taste, but the sweet will produce the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. That's a lot better than Jesus is my boyfriend, which is a lot of the songs we get anymore. (laughs) If you don't know what I mean by that, don't worry about it. (laughs) But if you listen to just like most Christian radio stations, it's like you could change Jesus with Sally or Sam and you got the same thing. 
It's not that exciting. Know this. Christianity does not deny the reality of evil and suffering. It doesn't. But we do deny the victory of evil and suffering. Big difference. Big difference. We dare not doubt God's smiling face. He loves you. Oh, it doesn't feel like love right now. Look to the cross. Look to the empty grave. Your feelings will lie to you. Jesus can do anything. He is sovereign. Nothing is too great for him. He can save your soul. And if he can save your soul, then I want you to know that he can save your loved one's souls. Right? He, he can restore your life. He can restore your marriage. He can help you. And even if he does not, oh, he is sufficient. And he's far greater than anything this world has to offer. Will you trust him is the question. Will you trust him? I'm going to read one last text and we'll, we'll finish up pretty directly after that. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 with me. If you don't have your Bible, next time bring it. Keep it on you. And if you don't, you can just listen. You can just listen, but you want to reference it later so you can look at it, right? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, the tested greatness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It would take a long time to unpack that this morning, but I want you to know this. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Christians are never to be sad and they ought not grieve. We do grieve, but we grieve with hope. Why? Because we have a living hope. That's exactly what the text says here. That means we can smile as we cry. We can smile as we cry. And in some strange way, God in his providence allows even the most horrid of suffering and the tears that flood your eyes to bring in a clarity of who he really is in the midst of your suffering if you will draw near to him and not run from him. It's, it's amazing how suffering brings faith into sharper focus. It really does. I mean, what trials are you facing right now? Think about it. What grief are you experiencing right now? You. You, you don't have to ignore it. You don't have to pretend it's not there. But neither must you despair in it. Or be crushed by it. Right? Because if you've trusted in Christ, 
God is at work in your life. He'll not waste your suffering. He's at work in it, right? Did you see that? Remember the living hope you have. Remember the inheritance that you will enjoy. Well, these words matter. Look at how God has guarded your faith through your trials, right? You can't run from his hand. He's got you. He'll keep you. Know that God, listen, is refining your faith in those trials. That's what it says. And by God's grace, rejoice. Rejoice is what he says. Sons, daughters of God, right? Your father can be trusted. So I remember weeping with my wife in that moment. And I can look back now. I can look back now, 16 years ago, and say, I would never want it that way, and yet I wouldn't change a thing because it was that moment that drew me closer to him and brought greater focus, greater understanding of what life's about. And we would be so trite without these things coming into our lives. As a matter of fact, this text tells us he refines your faith, he makes it sure, he makes sure you don't lose it, and he keeps you. And I want you to know, when the day comes and Jesus rips open the sky and he steps back into human history and he reveals all that it is, you would never want anything done different because it's absolutely perfect. Because if you didn't, you don't know these things. If I, I don't know these things either. But it's possible that if you didn't have those trials in that moment right there, you might just dive right on into a big old bucket of sin and walk from him. He keeps you. He keeps you. Oh, how good our God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you can be absolutely trusted. And yet we, oh, Lord, we struggle. We struggle. Help us in our, in our unbelief. Give us greater understanding of who you are. Help us to, to become who we behold. Lord, give us sight to see that you are sovereignly working all things according to your plan for the magnifying of Jesus' beautiful name and that you are for your children. You are for your sons. You are for your daughters. And you allow these things to come into our lives, never to crush us, but to bring us to the one who has been crushed and to be held tightly for all of eternity. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.